Welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. We're so excited that you join us today. And wherever you're listening from or whenever you're listening to this, we hope that you are encouraged. And if you ever want to join us in person, you can always join us at 10 a.m. at 197 Imperial Boulevard in Hendersonville, Tennessee. But we love you and we hope that you're encouraged today. We have been in a series called The Holy Bible. I want y'all to just say The Holy Bible. Come on. The Holy Bible. And we didn't call it The Bible. Because that just means book. Bible means book. It's another fancy word for book. No, no, no. The the Bible is the holy Bible. And holy is a fancy word that means set apart. It means that it's different. It's not like any other book. And so we wanted to title this the holy Bible. And we've been trying to show you how the Bible is set apart, how it is different, how it can be trusted, what you should do with it. Stephanie did an amazing job last week teaching us about the Bible and where the different translations come from, what's up with that, how do I understand that? What does it mean to really get in the Bible? But I love this. It's set apart. And there are things in your house that you have set apart. Some of you have shoes that you only run in those shoes. You only lift weights in those shoes. You're not going to Walmart in your workout shoes. No, no, no. Those shoes are set apart. They have a special purpose. Like they're different than other stuff. How many of y'all actually have fine china at your house? Or are you used to? Come on. I know Miss Carol does. Now, what if I showed up to Miss Carol's house and put chicken nuggets on the, that fine china and stuck it in the microwave? She would smack me. I know she would. Because chicken nuggets don't belong on fine china. Like those plates are set apart. And we didn't do that at our house growing up. We don't have them. I mean, my God, can you imagine our kids having fine china? And it, it would, they would break. I mean, it would break because nothing needs to be set apart in my house. I'll tell you right now. But you don't, you, you use fine china for Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter or the, the times we have family over and have a good meal to celebrate something. And the Bible is a lot like fine china. Like it, it's not as fragile because we'll learn about this today. It has stood the test of time, but it is different. It, it's, you should view your Bible differently. You should treat this differently. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God that's in the Bible and the God that wrote the Bible. But this is a different book. It's not like a Harry Potter book. Like this is a real book that can change your life. It's different than any other book. And so that's what the, the hope of this series is to show you just how different this is. The first week, two weeks ago, we talked about how to love it, how to learn it, and how to live it, how to live God's word. And listen, I want you to love God's word. I want you to love it. I want you to love it so much that you would do anything for it. You would do anything it would tell you to do. I want you to learn it. Like, listen to it. Like, you don't even just to listen to me teach the Bible, like listen to other people teach the Bible. I gave you five other people. You could podcast them today and it would bless you. And they, spoiler alert, are much better than I am at preaching the Bible. They're great. I listen to these people. I want you to listen to it and study it and all that. We want you to learn the Bible. We want you to love it. We want you to learn it. And we want you to, to live it. Do what it says. Well, I don't like what it says. Well, I'm sorry. Do what it says, because that's the way God designed for you to live your life. We want you to love it, learn it, and live it. Then Stephanie last week, oh, oh, I forgot about this. We started with uh, a Bible verse that we wanted us to memorize. If you weren't here, it's okay. I'm going to put it on the screen. Here was the verse we wanted you to memorize. It was this. Y'all say it aloud with me. Come on. Here we go. It's coming. I believe it. (laughs) Oh, time out. Time out. 
I need you to say it aloud, okay? Not a soft. Here we go. All right. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119. That's small at the bottom. I'm sorry. Here we go. One more time. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. Very good. Give yourselves a hand, everybody. Give yourselves a hand, everybody. Come on now. Y'all can't fool me. Here we go. Um, last week, Pastor Stephanie, she opened up. I mean, we were drinking from a fire hydrant last week. I mean, it was just a lot of information. It's good. Today's going to be similar, okay? But it was so good. And she talked about what is the Bible all about? Like, if you if you had to, to, to boil the Bible down into one word, what would it be? A lot of people would say love, but I would disagree. I would say the, the word that would describe the Bible is give, because it was God's love that prompted him to give. The Bible is all about God giving everything to us so that we can in turn give everything back to him. And that's what it's all about. She also, she started off the message by talking about how you can truly dwell into God's word richly. Remember she had the tea up here and she said, you could just put the tea bag in and write back out, but that doesn't make the water tea. No, no, no. To make the water tea, the tea bag has to dwell in the water and it makes a rich tea. The same thing is true about God's word in your life. If you want to have God's word dwell in you richly, you need to spend significant amount of time in it. And so last week's verse was this right here, Colossians 3.16. Come on, y'all say it with me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. One more time. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. How do you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Easy, three things. Find a translation you like. Don't be reading the, the King James Version if you don't understand it. Read the New Living Translation. It's easy to understand. That's what I preach from primarily. Uh, do that. Get a study Bible. Learn what the Bible is actually saying to you. Go spend a little money. Go get you a study Bible and, uh, and learn what Bible, the Bible means. Some of you are new and you're trying to figure this thing out. That will help you figure this thing out a little bit. And the third thing is, listen, get in a small group where we talk about God's word. You cannot do life alone. I don't care how awesome you are. You're not that awesome. You need other people. You need other people. And guess what? Other people need you. They need your story as well. That's how you do it. All right. And then this week we have another verse we're going to memorize together. Throw that one up on here. This is for this week's verse. Y'all say it with me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 24, 35. One more time. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. Jesus said this. Listen, Jesus said these words. Man can try, can try to deconstruct the Bible. They can pick it apart. They can hate it. But Jesus is saying this. My words will never die. Everything on this earth will die. Everything in this earth will wear out. Everything in this earth has a beginning and an end. But God's words, the words of Jesus, they will never die. They'll never pass away. And so my goal today is to show you that the Bible can be trusted. The Bible can be trusted. And some of you, I know your stories a little bit, and this is a question that you have. Like, how can I trust this book that was written thousands of years ago? 
how is it still relevant? How does, how does this thing still make sense? Like, do we even, it talks about science. It's not even, you have questions about the Bible. And I want to let you know, you've come to, on a great Sunday and you've come to a great place because I want to help you understand today that the Bible can be trusted. It can. And you might not know some things about the Bible that I'm hoping to, gonna, uh, hoping to teach you today, but I have seven things, all right, that will help prove to you that the Bible can be trusted. So here's my challenge to you. Get your phone out. Get out a pen and a paper. You're going to want to take notes because some of this, I'm going to fly through some stuff. And if you need me to stop, come to me afterwards. I'll give you my notes. You can have everything you want, okay? But Take some notes. Remember this. Take pictures of the screen if you want. You can do whatever you want. But I got seven things to help prove to you that the Bible can be trusted. The first thing is this. The Bible is historically accurate. The Bible is historically accurate. A lot of people know that there are a lot of good principles in the Bible. We know that like the teachings of Jesus, even if you don't believe everything in the Bible, most people would agree that what Jesus teaches is actually really good principles. Like, hey, love people. Okay. I don't know of many people that have a hard time with that one. Uh, serve people. Okay, I can get down with that. Like, live different than everybody else. I, those are things, that, that's pretty watered down, but that's essentially, Jesus says these things. And a lot of people don't have a problem with what Jesus says. Uh, they have a problem with a lot of the miracles in the Bible. Okay, and, and I've actually heard pastors talk about this, and they say that the principles in the Bible are good, but not everything in the Bible actually happened the way it says it happened, that, that, that it was made up. And really what they have is they have a little bit of a crisis of faith, and they don't believe that things happen in the Bible. They, they say things like, I, I, a person can't live in the belly of a fist for three days and live afterwards. That happened to Jonah. That's in the Bible. And you might be thinking the same thing. And here's what I would say to you. Uh, it's not humanly possible for that to happen. Well, what? You're right. But neither is the virgin birth. Neither is a, a re the resurrection of Jesus. Those things are not humanly possible, but I choose to put my faith in those things because I believe that the Bible is historically accurate. I think the Bible, I'll prove to you that the Bible is historically accurate. But I don't know if you've heard the story about the little girl who wrote a research paper and, uh, for her teacher, and she turned it in, and it was about Jonah getting swallowed by the big fish, uh, just like the VeggieTales story, right? And uh, it was about, the, about Jonah getting swallowed by the fish, and she turned it in, and the teacher said, why would you write on something like this? This is not true. It didn't happen. And she says, well, I, I believe that it's true. Absolutely, I believe that it's true. And she says, well, how do you know it's true? She said, you know, the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven one day, I'll ask Jonah and see how it happened. And the teacher said, well, what if he didn't go to heaven? What if he went to hell? And she said, well, then you can ask him, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listen, y'all need to laugh a little bit in church. But listen, there are things in the Bible that aren't humanly possible, but God can do the impossible. The things that look impossible to us are possible to God. Here's what the Bible says in Psalms. It says, for the word of the Lord is not only true, but it's right. When you, when you speak, when the Bible speaks of certain things, it's not only true, but it's actually right. It's accurate. 
And there's actually a secular scale that uh, historians use. This has nothing to do with the Bible. This is set by people that aren't Christians. There's three things that have to happen in order for something to be historically accurate. The first thing is this. There has to be eyewitness accounts. The Bible is almost completely made up, by the way, of eyewitness accounts. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the first four uh, books of the New Testament, all right? Uh, Those were written by four people that actually spent time with Jesus in the flesh, they were his buddies. They were his disciples. They, they witnessed everything that happened. They had eyewitness accounts and they line up perfectly. They line up exactly like eyewitness accounts should line up. If I put a person in this corner and that corner and this corner and this corner and told you all to keep record of everything that's happening in service today, all of you would write about different things. You would write about like, okay, Clint held the mic in his right hand. Okay, some, someone might say that. Someone might not focus on that, but they would say the lights kept flickering, right? Or they might say, well, they were, the, the room was pretty full, right? Or they might say worship was great. Another one might say worship was okay. I'm joking. It was great. But you, you would write about different aspects, but none of it would contradict each other. Why? Because all four of you were in the room. All four of the gospels are written by people that were in the room. They are eyewitness accounts to the historical person of Jesus, And so they were there when Jesus fed 5,000 people with two fish and a few loaves or whatever the, I know, whatever it is, the the, the fish and the loaves. There you go. They were there when when Lazarus was raised from the dead. They were there when Jesus was teaching. They were there on the Sermon on the Mount. They were there. They were eyewitness accounts. So that's the first thing, eyewitness accounts. The second thing is that the historical um, writings had to be recorded and copied with extreme care. Now, I believe that God chose the Jewish people to actually record all this stuff because they have the most meticulous way of recording their history of any other people group on earth. I didn't know if you knew this. I'm going to tell this. I'm going to teach this to you really quick. Um, The way they had to copy a lot of this stuff, typically people would do it word for word. So if people were copying the Odyssey, for instance, which is a really old story, they would copy that word for word. The Jewish people would take the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the five, first five books of the Bible. They would meticulously not go word for word. They would go letter by letter. And they would meticulously copy from the original manuscripts, from, from the person that wrote it for the very first time. They would go back to those and they would go letter for letter and copy this. And not only when they got done with all first five books of the Bible, if you have a paper Bible, look how thick that would be um, and how many words there are in there. They would go letter by letter and they knew what the middle letter should be. In, in all five books, they knew when they got done writing it all that the middle letter would be whatever it is. And then they would take that middle letter and they would count backwards to the very beginning and they would count forward to the very end. And if the numbers didn't line up, they would scrap it and start over and do it again. Why? Because they recorded it and copied it with extreme care. They knew that things had to be preserved and they took the time to do that. And here's something that people say all the time is, well, all these translations are just watering down. No, no, no. All the translations that are true translations, not paraphrases of the Bible, don't go back from previous works of translations. No, they go back to the original manuscripts and they translate the Bible from the actual source. 
And what's also interesting is, have y'all ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls before? Um, uh, if you know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were the oldest manuscripts that, that we have discovered that were uh, about the Bible, and they've compared them to later manuscripts of the Bible, and they completely agree. There's not one letter in there that disagrees with other manuscripts. Why? Because this is the Word of God. It was recorded and copied with extreme care. The third thing and the third final thing, if you want to study historical accuracy, is that it needs eyewitness accounts. It needs to be recorded and copied with care. And it has to have archaeological confirmation. You can't just say this existed and it not exist, right? And then every single civilization mentioned in every single one of them mentioned in the Bible, they have found except for one. For 1,900 years, they couldn't find the existence and the proof of the Hittite people in the Bible. And so people thought, like, well, the Bible just got this one wrong. There's just no way that this was real. We haven't, it's been 1,900 years. We haven't found it until uh, whenever the, 19, the early 1900s, guess what? There was an archaeological dig that started to unearth an empire. And do you want to just take a stab at what empire that was? The Hittite Empire. And that accounted for every single civilization in the Bible. There's archaeological proof that it existed. So the Bible, we can say, based on these three things, that the Bible is historically accurate. Because the Bible's not only good and true, it is right. When it talks about stuff, it is right. So it's historically accurate. That's number one. I got seven of these things. Y'all better buckle in. Here we go. Number two, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Now, some of you are like, oh boy, are you sure? <laughs> yes, I'm sure. And I'm going to talk to you about it really, really quick. Here's what I know about science is science evolves. Science changes, if you will. If uh, some of you were are a little older in here and you took a computer science class back in the 80s, how many of you know if you took one now, you wouldn't know what to do? You can't even operate your phone right now, right? Why? Because computers have changed. What we understand about the body has changed. What we have understood about many things has evolved, and it's changed over the years. Here's what the Bible says. It says this in Psalms 148. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command, and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. God established what science even actually is. He put it in motion. He put it in place. And every living thing, everything in the universe is, do, does what it does because God told it to. That's how things operate. God is the originator of these things. The Bible has known this for, uh, for, for generations and for thousands of years. God, he's the author of science. And so for a book that was written over the span of 1,600 years, you would think that there would be one time where it got it wrong but it hasn't. And if you believe that, it might be because you might not have a, a working knowledge of what the Bible actually teaches. So I'm going to help you a little bit today with that. Uh, if you go to the Louvre in France, anyone ever been to the Louvre in France before? Okay, got a couple people that have traveled the ocean. I've never been there. But in the vault of the Louvre, they have books. They have three and a half miles worth of uh, 5K worth of books in the vault that are now considered scientifically obsolete. That means these were things that were written down saying, this is what this means. And there's three and a half miles of these books that are now scientifically obsolete because things have been discovered and all this that have made them obsolete. And uh, 
in one of those books, it's this title right here. It says, uh, 51 incontrovertible scientific facts that prove the Bible is wrong. That was written in 1861 by the French Academy of Science. And now all 51 of these facts have been controverted, everybody. Like they're, they've been disproven. And so not only when the Bible, uh, what the Bible does say about science is true, but it's also what it doesn't say about science is true. For centuries, for 2,000 years, people believed. So, so before I get there, this is what I'm talking about. The Bible, nothing has crept into the Bible from its cultures that it was written in that is scientifically untrue. And I'll give you some examples. The first one is this. The earth was flat. People believe the earth was flat for 2,000 years. If you're a flat earther in here, just bear with me, okay? I love you, but you're wrong. Okay, here we go. The earth was flat. People thought this for 2,000 years. They thought if you sailed to the end of it, you would fall off. I remember hearing about this in school. Then we had some people that were smart, and they, were, they, they theorized that maybe the earth isn't flat. It's actually a sphere. But all they had to do was go back a couple of thousand years, and the Bible would have told them. It says this in Isaiah. Come on now. God sits above the circle of the earth. That original word for circle is the, the Hebrew word for sphere, everybody, sphere. It's where we actually get the word globe. And so if they would have read their Bibles, they would have saw the Bible's been teaching all along. The earth isn't flat. This is something that we've now understand as common knowledge, of course. But the Bible's been saying it for thousands of years. And so you would think that something would have crept in the Bible, like the earth being flat or something, but no, no, no. The, what the Bible says is right. It's true. The second thing is this, that, that people thought for forever that the earth had to be held up. Um, the Greeks believed it sat on Atlas's shoulders. They thought the earth had to be held up. Uh, the Hindus believed that the earth was on the back of an elephant who stood on the back of a turtle who stood on the back of a serpent and it waded its way through the sea. That's what the Hindus believed. The Egyptians, who we still consider to be the most sophisticated society to probably ever live with their architecture and their philosophy, like they were super, super smart. They were able to get water and food to places unlike any, they were so smart. And Moses, before we know the Moses in the Bible, that led people out of Israel. He was trained in the universities at Egypt. He would have learned all this stuff. The Egyptians thought that the earth would be held up on five pillars. But all you had to do was go to the oldest book in, that was ever written in the Bible. It's not Genesis. The oldest book in your Bible is actually Job. That was the first book ever written. It happened probably within the first 10 chapters of Genesis. And the Job says this, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and the earth hangs on nothing. Now, how did Job know that? Did he get in a spaceship and fly into space? No. I would appeal to you that Job is not the one that wrote the Bible. God wrote the Bible through Job, and God knows what he's talking about because his words will never fade. His words are always right, and they're always true. All right? The third thing I want to talk about is people used to think that the number of stars could actually be counted. They thought that you could count this. In fact, um, yeah, Hippicrus in 15 or 150 BC, he actually counted the stars. You want to take a stab at the number he got? He said there were 1,022 stars, <laughs> right? But 300 years later, so in 150 AD, another guy, I can't remember his name, Ptolemy actually did a recount, and he said that Hippicrus is off by four. 
wasn't 1,022 stars. He actually counted 1,026 stars, right? But if you look at the, the famous researcher today, Google, right, you would see that they actually think that there are 200 billion trillion stars in the universe, But all they had to do, they had to go to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says this, that the stars of the sky, they can't be counted. You can't. There's more out there. Here's another one. I got another one for you. People used to think that too much blood actually made you sick. That if you had too much blood in your body, you would get sick. There was a scientific practice called humoralism. And uh, it stated that when an infection came into your body, it was really in four different bodily fluids that you had. One of those bodily fluids was blood. And they thought that they, if they could just make you bleed out the infection, bleed out the sickness, that you would get better. They called that bloodletting. You're laughing now (laughs) because this this sounds crazy. Do you know George Washington, our first president, actually died from bloodletting? He got sick, and they they did this to him four times. He lost 40% of his blood, and he died because he didn't have enough blood in his body. Because they thought, well, let's just slice him up, and we'll see what happens, right? Like, that's what they thought would, would work. But that's laughable now, right? Like, that's crazy that we would think that. But guess what? If they would have gone back to Leviticus, they would have seen this. For the life of the body is in its blood, That's why we need blood in our bodies. When you're sick, oftentimes they'll pump more blood in there. Because why? The life of the body is in the blood. It says this in Psalms. I want you all to understand this today. And this is just a few examples. I'll give you another one that's not even in my notes. Y'all ready for this? Listen, uh, the the, the idea of quarantining, okay? Are y'all sick of that word right now? My gosh. Came from, uh, it was in the Bible, in the original law. The bubonic plague came and wiped out 25% 25% of Europe, whenever it happened, they, they couldn't understand the concept of things being contagious the way that it was. And so people were getting around people that had the plague and they were getting sick and they were taking it to their family. They were getting sick. They didn't know what was causing it. But in the Bible, there was a ritual or there was a, a practice that the priests had to play on people that would get sick and it would quarantine them for 14 days. This is something that's been happening in the Bible since the, the God set the law in motion. Because what the Bible teaches is not only true, but it's right. It says this, and the words of the Lord, they're flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. What God's words is always true, but it's also right when it talks about certain things. Come on, can I, are y'all getting this today? I, I think we have to understand this because the Bible is coming under attack. We can't trust it. Yes, we can. It's not been wrong one time. And the third, the third thing is this. The, the Holy Bible is prophetically accurate. This is going to blow your mind. This is probably my favorite point of the whole day. My second favorite point of the whole day. This is going to blow your mind. It's one of the most interesting things to me because you're not only writing a book that has history, but you're writing a book and you're making predictions along the way of things that have not happened yet. That's bold, okay? Weather people can't even get predictions right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they gotta, they're the only job in the world that can be half right and still have a job. You know, like, it's just, but the Bible makes predictions. They're called prophecies in the Bible. And these prophecies, there's a thousand proper, uh, prophecies in the Bible, over a thousand in the Bible. 300 of them are about Jesus alone. Okay, and these things that have been predicted and, and 300 prophecies about Jesus, um, and they're not generic prophecies. They're not stuff like Jesus will be a boy. He will be nice. 
No, no, he will be a Jewish person. Like they're not saying like generic things. No, no, they're very specific. Jesus, the savior will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He will be born in a little town called Bethlehem. Uh, he will, and they're very specific, okay? So these aren't just generic things. And, and the last, and they, and they also weren't just a generation before Jesus was born. The last prophecy about Jesus was given 400 years before he would be born. That would be like a person that sailed on the Mayflower predicting what we're doing right now. That's insane, right? Like you can think about this. Now, there was a guy, uh, what was his name? I need to look up his name real quick. Uh, oh, I forgot to tell you this. One of the craziest prophecies in the Bible was King David in the Psalms wrote about crucifixions. And so he wrote about how a person would be crucified and he wrote about Jesus's crucifixion that's considered a prophecy in the Bible. And he was predicting that this would happen. The thing is, is that the, the form of punishment that we know of as a crucifixion wouldn't be invented for hundreds and hundreds of years later. But he spoke about it with accuracy. Why? Because Maybe David didn't write the Bible. Maybe God used David to write the Bible through him. Uh, there's stuff like this all throughout the Bible. And so there was a guy actually um, who, who, his name was Dr. Peter Stoner, and he studied probability. And he figured out the probability of someone just fulfilling eight of the prophecies. And it was this. It's one person fulfilling eight prophecies in the Bible is a probability of one in 10 to the 17th power. Eight prophecies. Jesus fulfilled all 300, by the way. Let me just say that. Eight of those prophecies, if you were to fulfill eight of those, it would be the likelihood of one in that number. Whatever that is, there are 17 zeros in that number right there. Okay? Um, and y'all know how probability works. Like if I had a bucket of tennis balls up here and I had 10 in there and I had all of them were normal colored and then one was red and you blindly stuck your hand in the bucket, like you would have a one in 10 chance of getting the red tennis ball. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Now, uh, in order to do this experiment, they didn't do this, but this is what it would be like. If you had, if you had that many, this number of silver dollars, okay? So imagine you had that many silver dollars. If you had to contain them somewhere and put them somewhere, it would take something the size of Texas. Hello, Miss Carol, shout out. Come on now. Uh, two feet deep of silver dollars. I don't know if you've ever been to Texas, but it's big and there ain't trees nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Like you could drive throughout the whole state and not see a soul if you, if you wanted to, right? Texas is huge. And it would be like us blindfolding a person, putting them in a helicopter and saying, all right, we just crossed over into Texas airspace and we have hidden one penny in the midst of all these silver dollars. And uh, you're going to get one chance. You're going to, we're going to drop it wherever you want. You're going to reach your hand in there and pull out a coin. And if they pulled out the penny, it would be that like that statistic right there. And so a person fulfilling just eight of these prophecies would be 10 to the 17th power. A person fulfilling 16 of these prophecies would be one to the 40th or 10 to the 45th power. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies is one in 10 to the 157th power. There's no explanation for Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies in him, except man didn't write the Bible. God did. There's no explanation that this would happen, but this is not a normal book. It's a holy book. It's a book that's set apart. And when it speaks of something, it will happen. And there are still prophecies in the Bible that haven't happened yet. And I'm just going to tell you, I want to be on the right side of this book because it's done a pretty dang good job so far at predicting what's going to happen. And so when the book, like the book of Revelation, a lot of that hasn't unfolded yet. 
But I'll tell you right now, I want to be on the right side because this, the, the Bible is true. It's right. When it speaks of something, it happens. It says this in 2 Peter, for prophecy has never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they carried along, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is true because God wrote the Bible through people. It says this in Matthew, but this is all happening to the fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. Okay, Jesus was, all of this was happening to fulfill what the prophecies had been written about him. The revelation says this, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy, true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. The Bible is prophetically accurate. Every single prophecy that is in the Bible has been fulfilled except for the ones to come. And let me just tell you, the Bible's true. It will happen the way the Bible says it is. So that's number three. I got four more to go. It is 11. Here we go. The Holy Bible is, uh, these, these are quick. Our, it, the Holy Bible is thematically unified. Listen to this. The Holy Bible was written over a period of 1600 years in over a dozen countries on three continents by 40 people in three different languages. That's how the Bible was compiled. And how did they all tell one story? I want you to think about this for a second. How did they all line up and tell one story? The Quran was written by one person, okay? Hindu scriptures was one person. So you would expect them to be accurate because only one person wrote them. They wouldn't contradict them. But how does the Bible do it? says this in Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I, I don't have a good explanation for you other than the fact that maybe the Bible is true. Maybe the Bible actually is a word, is the word written by God himself. It's, it all has lined up. It, it, that statistically is impossible but it does. You're not gonna find a contradiction in here that's significant. There are certain things here and there that seem like they don't line up, but when you dig into them, they do. Why? Because God's word is perfect. It's thematically unified. How did they do that? Well, God wrote the Bible. That's how they did it. The, the fifth one is this. The Holy Bible is trusted by Jesus. And some of you, this might be the weakest argument I have, and that's okay. You don't have to believe in Jesus right now to be here. But for some of you, you're picking apart the Bible and you would say that you put your trust in Jesus. Well, I would just lovingly tell you that if you're living a life that doesn't reflect the word of God and you're claiming to be a Christian, you're rejecting Jesus. You're not serving the God that's written about in the Bible, you're serving yourself. Because if you're in here and you believe in Jesus, you need to believe in his word. They don't separate. And so we need to understand that like God, what God's word says, we need to be doing. It says this, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. God's word, it is final in our lives if we're Christians. That's what we believe. We stand on God's word and we don't compromise what God's word says. We don't pick it apart. We don't decide what we believe and we don't believe. No, no, no. If we are a follower of Jesus, you have to accept that this is his word and you need to learn to love it. 
And that might mean that some things you need to change about your life because you don't change the Bible to fit your life. You change your, bi- your, your life to fit inside what the Bible says. That's how it works. Pastor Chris Hodges says this. He says, if you believe what you like in the Bible, but you don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust, but it's yourself that you trust. And I would just ask the question, how's that working out for you? Probably not great. We need it. We need the word of God in our life because if we're left to on our own, we're not going to do a good job. Number six, the Holy Bible has survived every single attack against it. The Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever, but it endures. You, God's word is never going to die. That we read about this earlier, right? The earth will die, the earth will fail, but God's word will never fail. People can try to destroy it, and it stood the test of time. All throughout all of history, people have tried to destroy the Bible, but guess what? We're in this room today, and we're talking about what? The Bible. Why? Because it has survived every single attack. It will survive every single attack. A guy named Voltaire, he said this. He was a French philosopher. He said, within a hundred years, the Bible will be forgotten. The only thing that's been forgotten is that quote, okay? (laughs) I'm serious. Because the Bible will not be forgotten. But what if if you get arrested for, well, lock me up. Because I'm telling you, the Bible is true, and I'm going to commit to you right now that whoever preaches on this platform will preach God's word for what it says. We're not going to water it down. We're not, no, we're not going to be mean. I want to be loving to you. I love you. I'm not going to be mean, but I'm not going to compromise what God's word says. I don't care how people attack it. We're going to preach God's word here. And the Bible will not be forgotten here. I'm going to make that commitment to you. Because I, 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 the Bible is something that I have to live by that's made my life better. The Bible says this in 1 Peter, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, forever. It's worth the investment you put into it. Some of you make financial investments into things that are going to fade away. Your house could get taken like that. Tornado could come tomorrow. It's Tennessee. Who knows? And then we can have a heat stroke the next day, right? Like the things can happen to your house. Things can happen to your money. Things can happen to your body. Things can happen in your marriage. Things can happen to your kids. Uh, all that stuff will soon fade away. You'll, you'll pass away and you'll leave these people behind. You'll leave your stuff behind. But God's word will never pass away. Come on, can I get an amen from somebody? Help me preach a little bit today. Listen, it will last forever. So let me ask you some questions. Will I, ask yourself this, will I attack God's word or will I live by it? Will I attack it or will I live by it? I'm not changing it to fit me. I'm changing me to fit it. Will I deconstruct it or defend it? Come on, will I follow the world or will I follow the word? Listen, you have to think about these things because it will last forever. It will last forever. The last thing is really the proof. The Holy Bible has life-changing power. It has life-changing power. I want you to, everyone just 
Listen to me. Look at me. If you're not looking at me, look at me. It has life-changing power. Some of you are in here. And you're in here because God brought you here. And you're on the edge. And you, you know that things in your life need to be different. You know that you need, something in your life has got to change. When, when Steph and I look out at you guys, we see proof of this. I see proof of this in your life. There are a bunch of you in here right now that are completely different people right now because of the investment you chose to make in yourself by showing up to church and getting into God's word, even if it's just one day a week. One day a week's not good enough. We need to be in it every day. But if you gotta start somewhere, just show up every week, I'll take it. And I look out here and I see people who have had their life changed because you've put yourself in an environment where you can meet God. You put yourself in an environment where you can hear his word. Guess what? Because of that, you're better parents. I look out here and I see better parents today than I did a year ago. I look out here and I see people making better decisions with your life than a year ago. I look out here and I see people that are happier than they were a year ago. I see people that act differently now than they did a year ago. You're more confident. You're more loving. You serve consistently. You're giving to others. You started to give financially. Your marriage is better. Your kids are changing. Things are getting better. Why? Because the Holy Bible, it has life-changing power because it's the words of God in the Bible. And when we get into the Bible, things in our lives begin to change. It has life-changing power. If you want your life to look different, read this book and do what it says. It's that simple. And if you have trouble understanding it, I will do everything I can to help you. I will buy you a study Bible. I will do, I'll do whatever I can to help you. Why? Because that's where life change happens. Life change happens by reading the words of God and doing what it says. And some of you are like, I, well, God doesn't speak to me. Well, read your Bible more. If, if you can't hear God's voice, read it out loud. These are, this is his voice to you. Read it. It has life-changing power. Life change happens in this book. And for some of you today, I think God is, is working in your life. You've been showing up here and you've been like, man, I really feel better when I leave here. I just want to give you a little secret. That has nothing to do with me or Stephanie or Joey or Holly. No one up here is making you feel better. The presence of God is making you feel better. Now, we've created an environment where hopefully that can happen every week. But it's not us, it's God. God is drawing you in right now. And I believe God wants to change you, but you have to let it. Well, I, I don't wanna, well, yeah, you do wanna change. I tell you, you wanna change because the way your life is right now is probably not going great. I know that because I've been there. I've talked to, I, I know too many people that have been where you are and I can tell you on the other side of this, there is something better for you. So I want everyone in here, this, this is a holy moment. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second, okay? I've done everything in my power today to help change your mind. But guess what? Your mind doesn't save you. 
what you think about God does not save you. The Bible actually says that if you believe in your heart, you will be saved. Having a head knowledge, knowing something just for knowledge sake doesn't change you. But believing something in your heart changes you. That's what saves you. That's what the Bible teaches. And I pray, I really do. I've been praying this all week. I pray that God's been messing with you right now. I pray he's messing with your heart right now. And if that's you, this is your day. This is it. You've been coming. This is the step you need to take. I'm just here to tell you that because I love you. You need to start a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Because I'm telling you, the Jesus that we read about in the Bible is true. He loves you. He gave his life for you. He wants the best for you. He's, he's a, the Bible talks about God as being the father. He's a perfect father. He's a loving father. He want, the Bible says that when we believe in Jesus, he gives us an abundant life, a life better than anything we could imagine. And today, I wanna to invite you to step into that life. And if you would be in here and you would just be honest and say, I'm the only one looking right now, I promise. You would say, Pastor Clint, I'm ready to start that relationship with Jesus. I want to help you do that today. And if that's you, on the count of three, I just want you to just quickly raise your hand, leave it up. Let me see you real quick. And I, I want to help lead you in that today. And we're here for you every step of the way. Come on, if that's you, on the count of three. One, two, three. Come on, lift it up. Let me see it. I see you. Come on. I see it. Come on, put your hands down. And if that's you, I want you to just say this. Say, Jesus, I believe, not just in my mind, but in my heart. I believe what your word says. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again. And I invite you into my life. And in the best way I know how, I will live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, give God a hand, somebody. 